Hey y'all, Zachary Sexton here. The Productivity Show is the place that brings together the best minds, principles, and tools in the industry to show you how to take more action on your goals so you can do more of what you really want in work and life. Make sure to stay in contact and get more productive updates by signing up for our newsletter at asianefficiency.com. Today is episode 36, and we'll be talking to Brooke McCallery about how to live a slower, more intentional life. By listening to our discussion, you'll discover why strict routines don't work for everyone and how to implement more flexible alternatives, tips for waking up earlier and still getting enough sleep, where to start when decluttering your house, and how getting rid of physical distractions allows for greater focus. Enjoy. You are tuned into the Productivity Show by Asian Efficiency. My name is Zachary Sexton, and today I have with me Brooke McCallery. Welcome, Brooke. Thank you. Brooke is a mother of two and a creator of a blog called slowyourhome.com. And this site is all about a holistic approach to creating a slower, happier home and a simpler, more content life. So Brooke, that's my little intro of you that I found on the internet. Um, (laughs) Maybe you could expand a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about yourself personally, uh, who you are, and who you help your readers and actually soon-to-be listeners do. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you pretty much nailed it. I'm, a, I'm an Australian mum. I've got two little kids. They're six and four. I, um, I write. I garden. I'm a wife. You know, um, all the sort of normal things. Um, but in terms of slow your home, um, it's really a place where I encourage and support people to, um, slow down and simplify, simplify all areas of their life so that they can, you know, find contentment, find happiness, and also reconnect with the things that are really important in life. Um, and as you mentioned, I'm also in the process of launching a podcast, um, called the slow home podcast, which, will be um, a series of stories and conversations with people who are already living slower lives and who are attempting to, to continue to slow their lives down. And, um, yeah, it's just about digging deep into what that means because it means something different for everyone, really. And uh, that's that's a lot of what I like to write about and talk about. Well, that sounds great. What would you define as a slow home or maybe simple living? Um. That's a $64,000 question, I think, you know, um, for, for me, it's, it's taking away the distractions and the clutter, both physical and emotional and mental clutter so that I have the time and energy and space to focus on things that are really important, like, you know, like family, like my, my friends, like being creative and being outside and being able to do the things that I really value, um, without, having simplified and slowed down, I just wouldn't, wouldn't have the, the bandwidth to be able to, to do these sorts of things. So in the physical sense, it's about stripping back the stuff that we don't need. You know, to me, it's, it's quite closely linked to the idea of minimalism, even though I'm not technically a minimalist, you know, I don't own 100 items or anything like that. But um, it's sort of stripping it back to the things that are more essential in terms of the physical stuff and not putting an undue amount of importance on the things that we own. But then also um, it's about mindfully and intentionally just stopping, you know, every day and slowing down and really taking the time to pay attention. And, you know, it's like life's really 
hectic for everyone. Uh, so it's not as easy as it, as it necessarily sounds, but it's definitely something that as I'm getting better at it and as I'm starting to understand more what it means for me, it's, um, yeah, it's feeling better and it's feeling simpler, finally. That sounds great. What were some of the steps that got you to where you're now, where you are now, living a little bit more intentionally? And maybe let's talk a, a little bit about what that intentional life looks like for you. I understand you have a, a very early morning routine and ritual where you get a <laughs> lot of your your productive work done, and and then maybe let's talk about what the rest of your day looks like, um, and how we can help people uh, get to that point for for themselves or a point that works for them. Maybe not you. We don't have to copy your life, even though it's awesome because you live in the blue mountains outside of Sydney, Australia. And if you ever go to Australia, visit the blue mountains. They are so gorgeous. I went, uh, I think it was a junior when I was in college and I went, uh, spelunking, I think is the term or, or jumping off these waterfalls that were just gorgeous up there. And I really regret not buying a waterproof camera because it was just one of the highlights of my, of my trip. So um, <laughs> if you can remember the question that I asked you, maybe some of the steps that got you to your more intentional life, um, uh, that would be great to hear about. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so taking it back a bit, I, I initially kind of came to the, the need to, to slow down back in 2010, I burnt out really severely. I was running my own business and had a young family and renovating my house and all that kind of crazy stuff that we threw ourselves into. Uh, and I burnt out massively. So, you know, as part of, of helping myself get through that, I, um, I started reading about slowing down and simplifying. And really the, one of the first things that I, the first thing I did was I decluttered my business. Um, you know, so that was probably the biggest and, kind of most, um, <laughs> the most violent active intention that I had at the time. Can really you actually just... dive into that real quick? Yeah. We just had Sam Carpenter on, which is talking about work, this system. And he spent about 30 years of his life pulling his hair out. And then he finally systematized his business with standard operating procedures. So I'd love to hear about how you decluttered your business as well. Right. I took it a little bit further and I actually, um, I, I got rid of the business completely. <laughs> That's a way to I, I used declutter to, it. <laughs> I really did declutter it. I um I used to run a uh, a jewelry label that was you know it started out just as a small time hobby and, and it built over a few years to something that was taking up um you know it was, it was moderately successful but it was just incredibly labor intensive um and once our once we'd started our family it was a matter of you know I was trying to work forty or fifty hours a week on the business plus being a full-time mom. Uh, and luckily I didn't have my priorities right with a lot of things, but luckily in that instance I did because it was pretty much, you know, um, push myself to the point of breaking or let go of the business. And I was fortunate that I was able to do that over the period of a few months. So, um, I looked at all different ways of, of keeping the business around. And in the end, it was not something that I was passionate enough to, to, to do that work really. So I was, you know, intentional about what was important. Um, yeah. And the business was the first thing to go. Um, so after that, I really kind of started to tackle our home. Um, and you know, it was just an average house. We didn't, we're not hoarders or anything like that, but we, 
we had amassed a certain level of crap. Um, so as we, we all do, as we all do, you know, we had boxes from when we moved and I had no idea what was in them. You know, we had a two car garage that our car never fit into. So, um, you know, it took over a period of about 18 months or so, I, I decluttered quite significantly the amount of stuff that we owned. And after that, it was really just a matter of iterating, you know, what simplicity felt, what we wanted simplicity f- to feel like for us. Uh, and then I started thinking about things like balance and rhythm and what it means to, you know, um, to, to feel content, all that sort of stuff. And then my health and everything kind of snowballed from this point of simplifying physical uh, to, to where I'm heading now, which is more about slowing down, not just simplifying. Um, and you were asking about my day, um, and I'm really intentional about the way that I start my day. It's taken me some time to get to this point, but I um, my alarm goes off at 4 a.m. every day. And um, I have two little kids, so really the early morning is the only time that I get uninterrupted to write. Typically, that's when I do most of my, my writing work for the couple of hours between then and when my kids get up. But I start my morning with a really – I'm not big on routine, I must admit. Um, I much prefer the idea of rhythm, but the mornings, the early mornings, are probably the most regimented part of my day. And I do that on purpose because at 4 a.m. I don't have particularly strong willpower. <laughs> um, so if I know what the next step is, I don't. I just don't have to think about it. You know, So I get up. I, you know, shower, get dressed, put on the kettle, um, make a cup of tea while I do a bit of yoga and I'm straight into the office. Um, and I don't have internet access at the time. I staff the internet until after I drop my daughter off at school so that I can keep my head clear of all of those distractions, you know, notification, Facebook, email. Um, yeah. And I really just concentrate on creating for those first couple of hours. And then I really dive into getting, everybody up and dressed and out the door for all the different things that we, we need to do. And, um, you know, it, it's, it kind of goes against the grain of my idea of rhythm and slow, except that it works. So, you know, that, that intentional, um, approach really sets my day up. Now there's so much I want to dig into right there. (laughs) One is what time is it there right now? Oh, (laughs) it's five to six. So okay, it's, it's late. Yeah. All right. So uh, there's the reason I asked because I didn't know if it was obnoxiously early or just a little bit late because I've got this new tool on my desktop called uh, Blue Planet and it's a free desktop background that you can download and it shows where the sun is on the earth. And it's been really helpful for me because I work with people who live in Asia or I sometimes talk to people who live in Australia and I never knew what time it was if it was an appropriate time to call them or give them a little message or anything like that. So now I know if there's sunlight over Australia or Japan or Thailand or wherever I'm trying to get connect with, then it's reasonable where it's currently it's dark right now in Australia. So I knew it was one of the two. Um, and so you have a very regimented four to 6am work schedule. And I probably even though this episode hasn't even aired yet, I can already hear the gasps out there. How did you get to that point where you were waking up so early? Uh, initially, it was just out of necessity. Um, my kids were, you know, they were, they were kids. They weren't particularly awesome sleepers as babies. 
Um, and I think I just desperately needed some time where I was alone <laughs> for, for my day. And that was the only time that I could do it because even now, by the time, you know, bedtime rolls around for the kids and I might sit down and have a cup of tea or talk to my husband, I'm kind of brain dead. So the evenings don't work for me in terms of getting any kind of valuable work done or um, any time, even just to sort of sit and, and you know, play around. It's, it's, I, I pretty much just either want to watch something on TV or go to bed. Um, so it was really just the mornings for me. Um, initially, I think it was easier to get up at four because I was working on a book. I've, I've been doing the, the 4am wake up on and off for about three years. Uh, last year was not as regimented, but, um, I found getting into the rhythm of, of waking up at four was much easier when I had something to work on. And that's why the regimented approach works for me every morning because, you know, I, I do have things that I'm working on and projects that I'm working on. Um, and I know some people, when you talk about waking early, some people advocate the setting your alarm earlier, two minutes every day approach so that within a few weeks, you'll be waking up at the time that you want to. And that didn't really work for me. I, I think I'm probably a bit too impatient for that. Um, so I just, you know, um, started going to bed earlier. I'm a bit of a, a bit of a nerd in that regard. I go to bed sort of nine o'clock, something like that. Uh, so I do get enough sleep, which is the important thing. And then, um, yeah, just force myself out of bed. Having good coffee at home helps too. <laughs> yeah. I just bought some cheap coffee and my girlfriend's <laughs> not having it. It's like, it was $3, but no. Uh, that's, that's really interesting. I like how you say that when it sounded like the time you were writing a book, which what was the name of the book? Uh, Destination Simple. Wow. Well, we'll have to put a link to that in the show notes. When you were writing a book, you had a really strong why to get up early. And that's something that we talk about here at Asian Efficiency. If you want to have strong rituals or strong routines, knowing your why is very important. Otherwise, it's just like you alarm goes off at five, four, five, six a.m., whatever time you're trying to get up. And you're just like, why would I bother doing this? <laughs> and so having your strong why, which you sounds like you know, even when you're not writing a book, you know that's that your energy levels are best and that your concentration are best in the morning. And also, you're not going to have those distractions. One distraction that you talked about eliminating was internet. When did you start doing that? That was just a, it's a relatively new change from uh, this year, actually. Um, we were away uh, in Canada for Christmas and um, most of January. And um, our, the apartment that we were renting had really dodgy internet. So you could only gain access by sitting in a particular seat in the kitchen, um, which was annoying for about the first week. But after that, it was really liberating to realize how nicely your morning flows when you're not, you know, constantly checking for notifications or, um, you know, looking at Instagram or whatever the case may be. And it really just inspired me to try that when I, uh, when I got home because I wanted to see if it made an impact on the way that I worked. As it turns out, it's had a huge impact on the way that I work. Uh, and I also recognized even last year, um, before my daughter had started school, that the mornings that I spent, you know, digging through Facebook or whatever, whatever it was on my phone were the mornings that I felt 
harried and hectic and behind schedule all the time. And the mornings that I avoided it just flowed, you know, everyone was where they needed to be and there was no stress. So I sort of combined those two things. And from when we got home from, from our trip to Canada, it's been a pretty much an internet free space before kind of 9am. How do you prevent the internets from coming through? I know you one step one live in Australia where internet isn't always (laughs) where it needs to be at. Uh, But step two, what do you do do to prevent your phone and your uh, computer from, from going off or you from turning on the internet and going and distracting yourself that way? Uh, So the first thing I, I don't use my phone as an alarm clock. Uh, that's something that I've always done because it was convenient, but, um, I have a, just a little alarm clock now that uh, sits on my bedside table. It's all very analog and my phone doesn't live in the bedroom. Uh, I've also stopped reading on screens before I go to bed, which helps I think, um, with getting to sleep and having good sleep. Uh, but yeah, so the alarm, the alarm clock helps. And then because I'm, I'm regimented, I know what's happening next, you know, one step to the next every morning, every, when I wake up in the morning, uh, I don't feel the need necessarily to grab for my phone, which is kind of a procrastination thing or a boredom thing. When I know that I've only got two, two and a half hours to get things done, I like to give that time as much, you know, as much of my energy and my attention as I can. Um, but then also, uh, with accessing, uh, the internet when I'm writing on my computer, uh, I'm pretty good usually at keeping it off. I mean, I, I close everything down before I go to bed so that it's not sort of staring me in the face when I open up the computer of a morning. I typically just get into, you know, word processing and, and write. Um, but I also have, I use Stay Focused, which even if I do have to get online to check a link or something like that, uh, I've got 10 minutes on um, social media and that that's, it's meant to be for the day, but I typically um, don't really kind of go over that that length of time anyway. Um, yeah. So stay focused is an app that stay you can prevent yourself from going on the internet or just on certain sites. Uh, certain sites. Yeah. There are ones I think that, that block internet access completely. Um, but I have found that stay focused helps just, it, I typically just have it set up for Twitter and Facebook, uh, because they're the ones that, you know, you go in to check something and 40 minutes later, you, you forgot what you were there for in the first place. So. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm sure everyone knows how that goes. <laughs> well, so we'll be sure to put that app in the show notes so people can go download that. Um, well, oh, you know where I wanted to go next with this is I know you're moving away from this area, but stuff and clutter was something we talked about on the top of the show. And I want to dive into that process of how you were able to let go of it. I saw a documentary that was, um, it was an Australian documentary that you were a big part of. It was an eight minute, nine minute clip that I'll make sure makes the show notes, but it was really interesting how, uh, when you were interviewed on there, there was a statistic that Australians spend, $1,500 on stuff that they don't use. I don't know if that's the exact mm-hmm. right number, but it was ballpark that number. We're only behind Americans <laughs> in uh, <laughs> the amount of junk that we have. So uh, what was your process look like? And maybe what would you suggest people uh, for people to do if they were really trying to get some of the stuff or the clutter out of their lives? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> there's sort of two two things that really helped 
And the first was going back to what you were talking about before, and that's knowing your why or finding your why. You know, why do you want to get rid of this stuff? Why do you want to simplify? Why do you want the extra space? Typically, it's so that you can make room for something else, you know, make room for, um, you know, time or energy or make room for, um, by, by cleaning less, you know, you make room for doing something else, you know, whatever it is. It's really important to understand why you're doing it because it's not a particularly fun thing to do, decluttering. It's kind of, it's really, you know, <laughs> emotionally draining sometimes. So understanding why you want to achieve a simpler home or, you know, a decluttered garage or whatever your your goal is uh, really does help. But then after that, you know, I used to make the mistake of going after the biggest jobs first. So I would walk into our, our double car garage and it was just piled up with boxes of things, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't rubbish, but it was stuff that I, I didn't know that we still owned it. It was in boxes that I hadn't opened since we'd moved. And, um, so I would walk into this huge space and think, right, you know, this is, this is the weekend that I'm going to clear all this stuff out. And I would pull things out of boxes and, you know, start sorting through things and then get distracted and move over to another box and then kind of get tired. And all I would have made is a mess. Um, you know, and, and even if I managed to organize or sort some of that stuff out, it would typically within a month, it would have returned to its cluttered kind of former self because everything would just get shoved back in there. And so what I really recognized is the best way to forward is to start with really small steps. If this is a change that people want to make permanently and not just a spring cleaning kind of thing, uh, you know, start by clearing out your car of you know the receipts and the rubbish and the papers and stuff that, that end up collecting there. And then maybe your backpack or your handbag and the entryway to your home. And if you can simplify, declutter those areas and make them really functional and, um, you know, a positive kind of experience. And if you can keep them that way, then it's really a matter of building on that momentum. And that's what I found. If you can gain momentum with the, the smaller steps, uh, it's much easier then when the time comes to declutter the garage or the attic or the basement or the storage, you know, the storage unit. Um, yeah. And in terms of how I decluttered, it was, it's pretty, I mean, there's loads of different techniques around there. You know, some people advocate, talking to your belongings and thanking them and then, you know, releasing them to the universe, which works for some people. Um, but I'm typically pretty, um, pragmatic about it. I will have kind of three boxes, one of things to keep, one of things to donate or sell and one of things to throw away. And I just work through things systematically. I've never heard of that method of saying, all right, I, you were good, but it's time for you to go. I'm more Truly, similar yeah. to you where it's just like, ah, I want this stuff out of my life now. Um, if I can donate it, great, but just get it away from me. But there's some, <laughs> there's some people in my life I might uh, have some therapy sessions with their, their old clothes or <laughs> things like that. Yeah, no, I think Toy Story has a lot to answer for. Oh, good point. Yeah, it, I, the probably the I'm guessing the emotion that people have behind uh, just wanting to keep on to stuff is just a, you have an emotional tie to it. I know I used to. One thing that I did actually used to hoard quite a bit was T-shirts. You'd get a T-shirt mm -hmm. by doing a marathon or um, some volunteer event, and you just I don't know you wanted to keep them because they meant something to you. But now it's kind of like all right, how many t-shirts do I need and manage to, to cut the fat a little bit in that area. 
Yeah, and I think that's um that's something that you can't you can't rush it, you know. I think I don't think there's any right or wrong answer in what you keep as long as you're mindfully asking yourself, you know, do I want this? Do I need it? Do I even like it? Why am I keeping it? Um, you know, and that's ta- that's why it's taken me a few years really to get our home to a level of stuff that feels right for us because partly it's, you know, letting go of the emotional attachments and partly because I live with three other people whose idea of enough is different to mine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a, a sort of a process of iterating and, and reevaluating and questioning and yeah, f- feeling what feels comfortable. All right. So I'm going to end this by picking a bone with you because you just said okay. it all can be a slow process. And so we're on a show right now called the Productivity Show. And slowing things down can be thought of as the opposite of productivity, which is you know getting more done in less time. How would you respond or how have you responded? I'm sure you've maybe heard this criticism before to people that saying slowing down is maybe boring or inefficient or not something that we want to be doing in our fast-paced life that maybe we should be living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard this a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you had. Um, that's one of the main criticisms of the entire slow living movement is, you know, but life is fast and everything's hectic and successful people multitask and, you know, you have to be productive and efficient at all costs. And I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I think that, um, well, I'm kind of disagreeing with that. Uh, I think that, um, multitasking is not necessarily being efficient. Um, and I think that productivity is absolutely something that we need because, you know, that's just, it's the world that we live in. But um, slow isn't the opposite of that. I think slow actually can help people become more efficient, become more productive. I know I'm, I'm actually much more productive now than I was four or five years ago because I've embraced slow. And that's because for me, slow is, it's getting rid of the, the excess and the, um, the distractions so that you can focus almost singularly on the thing that's in front of you, whether or not that's work or responding to an email or writing a blog post or, um, you know, playing dinosaurs with your kids or, uh, you know, going for a run, whatever it is, you, you adopt over time this presence of mind that really puts you in the frame of what you're doing so that when you're there, you're all there in, in, in theory, you're all there. And, um, I feel like that is not the antithesis of modern day productivity. It's actually something that could really help people, uh, become more productive, but it also requires people to narrow down their focus. And again, find their why, find what it is that they're, they're doing and why they're doing it. Because otherwise, you know, it, it does feel like you're going slow for no reason. But I think if you know, if you, if you have a direction um, and you're prepared to really, you know, narrow in on that, slow is actually something that can help people become more productive. All right. Well, I'll defend you. Next time you get an email or a tweet <laughs> that says you're not productive, uh, just send it my way and I'll say mm-hmm. to them that, hey, at Asian Efficiency, we say being productive is consistently taking action on your goals. And the time that you've taken to find your intention, to find your why, you know what your goals are, and you are consistently taking action on them. So by definition, by Asian efficiency's definition, you are 
you're just a productive lady. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, we're getting to the end of our time, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on, especially in your, your awesome. evening time, which I, I don't know if your brain's as good. <laughs> you said you're taking coffee, though. It's a little late for caffeine. Oh, it's 6 a.m. Sorry. Oh, 6 a.m. I yeah. heard p.m. That no, it's 6 okay. <laughs> now I know how to use my little desktop app. I thought it, it looked like it's like okay, the sun's going east to west. Uh, okay. yeah, the sun's always I, coming up. I don't know. It's always <laughs> well. It's no longer rising on the 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 kingdom, the British kingdom. You guys are all right. Random talking. I'm get, I'm digressing. <laughs> what we're doing now. <laughs> I was doing so good with time and staying on point and everything. Uh, what we're doing now is um, getting into the uh, the productivity shows book, Frog, and Tool. So uh, before we started, you, I sent you an email that said um, that you might have a book that has helped you become more productive. And would you mind sharing that? Yeah, sure. Um, neither of them are I've got two, but neither of them are specifically about productivity or you know systems or anything like that. They're actually both about creativity. Um, the first is Art of War, Stephen Pressfield. Um, war of Art. Mm, anyway. Oh, the um, war. Oh, yeah. Art of War, Sun Tzu. War of Art, war of art is Stephen yep. Pressfield. Yes. There you go. That one. Um, basically, because it gets my head out of procrastination land. You know, he's got. Um, uh, a, a specific way of kicking your butt um, through the page and getting getting you uh, out of kind of this mopey place of, of self-reflection. You know, he just gets me back to doing what I'm doing and, you know, stop complaining about it, stop saying that it's hard because, you know, you just need to do it. If this is what you're going to do, you just need to do it. Um, so I really I appreciate that. Sometimes I don't like it, but I appreciate it. Um, and similarly, the other one is On Writing by Stephen King, who's one of my favorite favorite authors. But On Writing is the best book about um, the craft of writing. He write, he uses it to talk about fiction, but um, I apply it to, to my writing as well. That's great. I just got done with another uh, Stephen Pressfield book. I So many people were recommending the um, art of war or now I did it. The war of art (laughs) that I had to, had to get to it. And it was great. And I agree. I I think it totally aligns with being more productive because it does make you realize, all right, the only way you're going to get anything out of this world is to start taking action. And the way he walks through it is, is so motivating and so well-written and so just no excuses um, you could ever come up with would um, overcome his, his very strong ar- argument. Um, so we'll be sure to put both in the, in the show notes. As somebody who is trying to do more writing these days as well, um, I'll have to check out Stephen King's book as well. Pretty prolific guy. Uh, what about what about a tool or resource? We already talked about a uh, your focus app. Is there anything else? Um, I'm actually a pretty analog kind of old fashioned girl. Um, so my my resource is pen and paper. Um, it's there's been recent studies um, that have have been released that they suggest. Writing with pen and paper helps us commit information to memory much more readily than typing. Um, so particularly when you're studying or researching or brainstorming, you know, strategizing, 
sitting down with a pen and paper opens your your brain up in different ways. Uh, and I find that when I'm working on a blog post idea or a product or um, podcast interviews, that sort of stuff, if I start with a pen and paper, I'm much more inclined to be creative um, and I, I don't have as many inhibitions. Whereas if I'm typing things, I don't know, it feels just feels different. I feel like I'm accessing different parts of my brain. So I'm a big fan of keeping a, um, a journal and I also keep a, a, um, a, a daily notebook, but I, it's, it's a have done list rather than a to-do list. And I find that helps me a lot in, in recognizing the amount of work that I'm getting done in a day, because with a to-do list, if I don't get everything kind of crossed off it, then I don't feel like I'm, I'm kind of making as much headway as I want. But with a have done list, I can look back and go, oh, you know, I did get stuff done. It's great. So that's a, you know, that's a pen and paper thing as well. I like it. Are you still using the storyline productivity day planner? No, I, I spent about six months using that. And now I've, um, I've kind of narrowed in on my own version of that. So I, I kind of keep a to-do list, one for work and one for home. And it's only ever got three items on it for each day. Uh, and yeah, that's basically what I, what I took from that was again, you know, understanding what I'm working towards because the, the storyline productivity planner has a, has a space for, do they call it your life story or your mission or something like that, which I always found really helpful because it was the driving force behind, you know, my actions. But now I feel like I'm pretty set on that for the time being. So I just need a really very tight little to-do list for my day. Otherwise, if I, you know, if I let myself, my to-do list would be 25 items long. Well, be sure to put the the storyline in the show notes because for those who haven't found their why so strongly as you or um, tend to have growing to-do lists or think maybe going analog might be a good option for them, I feel like the storyline productivity tool is a good way to structure that when you're when you're new to it having a blank sheet of paper sometimes can be a little intimidating like oh what goes on here and why and how so i'll be sure to put that in the show notes and that's really interesting one of our good friends and i believe he was on podcast episode number six but we'll put it in the show notes mike vardy as much of a productivity guy as he is, he always starts with paper. He's a big paper fan, and I think for the same reasons as you. So that's neat to see that connection there. What about a frog? I think maybe, I don't know, I know I already know a couple frogs you have in, in, in your life, but um, is there any big project that you have to complete that's coming on the horizon that you're, you're working towards right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm working towards launching my podcast. So um, it's a pro the 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 launch in itself. I'm seeing as its own project, but then the podcast and is more you know a continuing kind of task that I'll I'll have because I'm interviewing and recording episodes by myself and that sort of thing. But yeah, the the biggest project that I'm I'm working towards now is that launch in a couple of weeks' time. All right, what's the name of the show again? The Slow Home Podcast. The Slow Home Podcast. And by the time this airs, there should be a few episodes out. So go ahead and if you're in your iPod listener, go ahead and find the Slow Home Podcast and and check it out. Yeah, please do. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. And if people want to dig deeper into the, some of the, of the topics that we discussed or some of the links or tools that we talked about, it'll be at theproductivityshow.com forward slash 36. I bumped you up because I wanted to, to align. And then 
Also, the productivityshow.com forward slash slow home. So you can help remember it that way, either slow home or 38. Um, and if you want to contact us, we're at podcast at Asian Efficiency. We always like hearing from people. We're also at Asian Efficiency on the Twitter. Brooke, where, uh, where are some good places people can find you? Yeah, you can um, find me on Twitter. I'm just at Slow Your Home. Uh, and I also have a, a Facebook community page by the same name, just Slow Your Home on Facebook. That's great. Well, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. And for everyone else, we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. All of us have limited time. Figuring out who you are and what you want to do with it is just the starting point. Our goal on The Productivity Show is to help you find more focus and clarity on these two questions every single week. This is so you can start doing more of the right things, the things that align with your strengths and bring the most passion, happiness, and meaning to your life. It's one thing to get more done. It's another to get more of the right things done. And knowledge alone is not enough. It's knowledge with action that's going to make the difference. You are the teacher, the master, the leader, the guru in your own life. Asian Efficiency and the Productivity Show will show you some of the small hinges that open the big doors, but it's your job to walk through. And I hope you do. It's a whole world out there. Leaving an iTunes review will help people like you do the same. Simply search for the show in iTunes and click Write a Review. The latest one we've gotten has been from Cut the Cord. He gives us five stars and says, Great guests and relevant productivity tips and tools. Keep them coming. Just takes two minutes, but it makes a big difference to us. Plan, do, review, organize, prioritize, eliminate the unimportant, delegate and automate what you can, focus on your most important task, take care of yourself, find momentum, move towards your ideal, achieve anything, not everything, enjoy life, do more, and be better. We want to start hearing more from listeners like you. In iTunes review, of course, but you can now leave us personal voice messages and we will answer them on the podcast. Just go to asianefficiency.com forward slash speakpipe. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.